Today's episode of Industry Town features the amazingly talented, multi-talented Stephanie Black. Stephanie has been in just dozens and dozens and dozens of television shows. She is the artistic director of the IAMA Theater Company, and she's also an accomplished uh, filmmaker and film director. So we're going to talk to her about all those things. We're going to talk about actor finances and side jobs and side hustles and making a living uh, and get into a whole bunch of stuff about the theater company and how she became a director. I also just want to say, I saw Parasite tonight, uh, the Bong Joon-ho movie. Um, it was incredible. I just, I don't know if you've heard about it or not, um, but it's like a Korean Jordan Peele movie, uh, and I just couldn't recommend it enough, and I'm big on trying to get people to go see movies in theaters so they don't die. So yeah, go check that out. I thought it was incredible. So fun. Don't read anything about it. Just go. Okay, uh, off my movie soapbox, and let's get to Stephanie. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Let's do this. We are here in my guest house, inaugural recording. (laughs) We have the one, the only, Stephanie Black here. Welcome. Hi, thank you. We're so glad to have you. Um... I'm going to start off with a question I haven't asked anybody yet, which is, what is on your plate right now? (laughs) Oh my God, what a terrible question. You're in the thick of it. I'm in the thick of it. I kind of live life in the weeds at all times, I think, and not by choice. It's just like kind of what's happened. Mm -hmm. Um, What am I in the middle of right now? Okay. I I mean, like get comfortable. (laughs) I am. I'm very comfortable. (laughs) I'm at home. Because I get exhausted just saying it. Um, okay, so in addition to um, you know auditioning and trying to have an acting career, so I have that happening. Um, I run a theater company. I am a. I am a theater company. First plug. Yep, it's amazing here in Los Angeles. We've been around twelve years, um, and I'm the co-artistic director. So I spend probably some, somewhere between like thirty to fifty hours a week, depending on if we're in production. On that, so that's Ooh. a full-time job already. Um, in addition to that, um, I am currently producing a feature film that is a writer-director, female writer-director's first uh, feature. Is so, this the one you were budgeting earlier? This is the one that I was up till one thirty in the morning working on the budget. Working, trying to cut out a hundred grand from a budget. How big is the budget initially? The budget, well, it's a SAG ultra low budget, so it's, you know, 250 or under. But uh, So you're cutting half. We're cutting like less less or more than half yeah because we have a hundred and we're trying to make that work or at least get it all in the can for that what um, are the type of decisions what kind of things are getting cut or are you having to decide do um, I sell them in this or something else? It, uh, miscellaneous crew positions you know like focusing on key crew positions and maybe you know if we are to get second hands in there there'll be volunteers or students who'll work for like you know meal and copying credit kind of thing okay so you're working so on the movie that uh and then and that goes into production in july and then <clears throat> um then i am developing two different tv shows one of them i'm shooting a proof of concept kind of um like a visual package and that's the first week of august so I'm prepping that with a DP and I'm sort of like rewriting kind of the the outline of what we're going to shoot. Um, and then I'm potentially shooting, a, uh, directing a short film at the end of August, maybe. But in the middle of all of that, um, I'm also pitching these two, taking out these two TV shows and trying to get them to happen. Um, so it feels like a lot. So here's an honest question that sounds <laughs> maybe a little uh, shit eating, but are you successful? 
I have no idea. It's <laughs> a fair answer, but I'm listening to this woman talk about, well, I'm, I'm, in addition to my entire acting career, which will hit a little bit, I'm directing movies, handling budgets, producing, uh, directing short films, pitching television shows. I would imagine that if you were 18 years old and hearing this woman speak, you'd say, She's in the entertainment business. She has a career going. Sure. I think, you know, it's hard because people ask, ask me that question sometimes. Like, do I consider myself successful? Or like even like my mom will ask me. And I have a very tricky relationship to the, the word success or what that means. Because I, I understand that to someone like I have perspective enough to understand that in someone else's eyes, like that I can be considered successful. Um, but for my own sake, like what success means, I'm like, I'm doing all these things, but I'm still not doing them at the level necessarily that I want to be. And my bank account doesn't necessarily reflect all the things I'm doing. Like I always, I've always joked, like if my bank account reflected all the things I had going on, like I would never need another penny. Um, <laughs> but that's just not the case. That's just not real. Um, I just, I'm asking because I actually, cause I, I know the answer to that question, kind of. And I think it's important to recognize that the so often success is a feeling that has nothing to do with our reality. Yeah. We're, we're recording in a, in a guest house of mine, and I regularly am like, well, gosh, maybe I should quit. Maybe it's really hard. Maybe it's too high uphill, and it's just not going to happen. Maybe I should go and be a teacher and make a specific amount of money and go live somewhere cheaper and call it a day, and then I go right back to it. Yeah, it's like a. I mean, we're kind of addicts in a way, you know. We're addicted to the the feeling of creation. I think maybe like for me, it's not about the. I don't like the stress of it. I don't like the high level anxiety or like the feeling of getting ulcers all the time, which happens a lot. I don't like being in the weeds, but I also don't know how to not be because okay. I've just been like a scrappy hustler for so long. So the idea of just doing one thing, and that's all I'm focusing on, like I can't even wrap my brain around that every time I say I'm just going to focus on this for right now and I'm going to do a single focus lasts like a week maybe and then I'm right back in the middle of like four different projects and, and a lot of it is because I think as like artists and creative people we get sparked by ideas and inspiration and like I get sparked all the time but the my problem I like Achilles heel is that I can't do anything half-assed so someone mentions something I'm like oh that's a good idea and then I all of a sudden have to be like going from like start to finish of like pre- pre pre idea into like the wrap and the delivering of the final product and Learning that curve to the pragmatics to actually production post production through the end absolutely yeah it's like impossible for me to just be like oh that sounds like a fun idea I'm like no let's do it and then I have to take on everything and you know that's like I think one of the things that makes me me but it's also as I've gotten older it's really hard and it's it gets a lot well, it just gets really tiring and it starts and now I'm at this place in my life where I'm getting older and I'm thinking about the next chapter of my life, like my personal life, not just my career and what that's going to mean. And I don't really know how I'm going to do all that, like and have a family, which is what I want to have. So start I don't a know. podcast, document each step along the way and <laughs> see, then it'll be a roadmap right. for so, other people. But see, this is then I'm like, oh, a podcast. Great. So then I have then I then I go down the rabbit hole of that project. Like even my therapist said to me, we were talking about how um, one of the mysteries of this business is like how people make a living outside mm -hmm. of what what the art they're trying to do and how for whatever reason. Um, it's like the one thing that people just like don't want to talk about. Like I have friends who I have like 
literally zero idea how they pay their bills. You know what's funny is I have a little iPhone note with questions that I have for you. And the next one that's up, that's pre like the main thing I want to get into is how do you get by financially? Oh, well, that's the thing. People don't like to talk. Like I actually will totally tell you everything, but people don't like to talk about it. It's a really weird thing. And I think some of it is like there's shame around getting help from your family. Mm -hmm. There's shame around doing service jobs that people don't want to admit they're still doing when they're at a certain level in their career. Like it should, people are just really close lipped about it. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the right me- phrase? I'll work with it. Yeah. I'm so bad. I mix metaphors all the time. So I might say something that doesn't make any sense. Perfect. perfect. We'll uh, translate. We'll have a little, anyway, uh, but people don't like to talk about it. And so I was telling my, th- I was talking that about my therapist and I was like, I just want to like not be ashamed of what I have to do when I want to know what other people are doing. And she was like, you should start a podcast and like, of course. I'm like, great. Now I'm going to have like another job that well, I'm taking I'm on. Ahead of you. That's a question I'm genuinely interested in if people are willing to share. So are you willing to share? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So, well, first of all, I've done every single job under the fucking moon since I've been in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and I've been here, I think I'm. Go- I think it's like 13 years or 14 years. We're right around the same time. Somewhere, I think I moved here in the summer of 2006, that's I want to say. I to college. Yeah. So that's, was that 13 years ago? Yeah. In my head, I thought I was 15, like a couple, like a couple of weeks ago, and I said that to someone, and they were like, "No, that's no. not right." And no. I was like, "Oh, that's bad math." Yeah. Um, Stick to the arts. Yeah, not a good, not good. But with we math. will ask you about numbers now. So. Numbers. Here we go. Um, so when I first moved here, I immediately, I think I worked at a clothing store, and then I, I did catering. And I ended up working at this um, restaurant that all of my friends worked at called Ammo. Um, it oh, was on, remember, remember Ammo? Ammo? It was on, on Highland. Highland? Yep. Yeah. So when I moved here, um, I, leather bound. Oh menus. yeah. Fancy. Yep. I was the mm-hmm. last of my like uh, group of best girlfriends. And so everybody had moved within like a year of each other. And our friend um, who had moved first, she'd gotten this job. And so as we all moved one by one, we all just got a job at this restaurant. Um, and so I was working there. I think I worked at another place right before, but I am, was never a good server. Like I'm not a good liar. So I couldn't pretend I wanted to be there. I just wasn't good. I was fired a couple times. This place, ammo didn't fire me, but, um, I eventually, I just couldn't hide it. And so I was just like bad at it and it was so clear, but I eventually quit ammo because I ended up, I tested for a pilot and I didn't get it. And then the next day I ended up at lunch serving, the entire creative like team of the show. Well, there's a short film. And I was like, knife in chess. I'm out and gave my two weeks. And I was like, this is definitely, I was like, there are other ways to make money and I will figure it out. And so I did, I like catered a lot. And then I got this great job working for, um, this awesome event planner, wedding planner who did like huge, beautiful weddings and other kinds of events. And so I started working for her like on and off probably for like two to three years. And, um, did she make you feel seen and like valuable? Yeah. She just was very, she was very tight. She's very type a detail oriented. And so I learned a lot and that was really good for the skills that I like, that was very much the skills that I possess. So like giving me tasks to do that I can finish to completion, having a list to check things off of, I felt very, um, like purposeful mm-hmm. in it. And, um, and it was cool, like, cause it, with the difference between like, you know, doing event coordination and catering is that once the party starts, the way it starts, like you're kind of done, mm-hmm. you just kind of like mingle around and just like watch everything as opposed to like constantly running food and having to be in the face of all the guests and everything. So I, I preferred that. That's always been my take on anything service related in this town is that if you can separate it out and you can make your money, you can clock in, clock out, and it affords you the life you want, then that is a 
perfect way to make a living. But the second that it reflects on you emotionally, oh, it's or it stunts or pro- terrible, creates this uh, wall between you and the cat and the producers who just didn't go with you in something. Then all of a sudden, uh, our the way we make a living is actually making us feel worse and less than, and it's treating us to wait for people who are further along than we are. Oh yeah, the, and also there's some stigma, and I don't know how long when this was actually like put into play, but there is definitely a stigma about. Uh, the way that we treat servers and the and being in the service industry that people are treated like less than and that's just like part of the culture of it so it's really hard to have that job sometimes and have it not reflect on like your personal self-worth to which i want to be really clear about i don't think that job is that but i do think it's important for everyone to look in the mirror and say does my job make me feel worse about myself or does it accomplish what mm-hmm. i need it to do and have that be the only litmus test that matters can i afford my acting class my headshots yeah. my happiness yeah i just it just like made me really sad Sad and well, like, and what I see unhappy. in service is personal assisting tends, not always, to make people a little happier because they do seem a little more seen. They're given a little more responsibility, yeah. which makes them feel valuable and useful. And yeah, the the flip side is sometimes you're too busy to have your, the rest of your life. But I tend to think that busy people get a lot more done than people who have a lot of free time. I think so too. I think also, um, I felt really strong like I thought okay this is what you do when you get out of theater school you like go get a job as like a bartender or a waiter and like when I was in New York I went to the New York bartending school and I got my like bartending license and then no one hired me um and then I end up working like I worked at all these different places and I kept doing that but the times that I felt the most purposeful and, and the best about myself was was when I was working in casting in New York or when I was working for um the Cape Cod Theater Project which was did you ever think company. that doing things that weren't in front of the camera or on stage were going to keep you from doing that? Like, would working in casting, did that idea scare you from No, it, it didn't, because I was just good at it. It was so clear to me very early on, like, what I had a pension for. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it was important to have a side job where I was using all the things. Like, I was using my skills and things I was good you at. creative. The- That's why I like teaching acting. I, it, it, yeah. it feels either creative or creative adjacent, depending on whether Exa- it's my class or MTA. Yeah, exactly. And so... I learned pretty quickly that like, cause I haven't sir, done, been in the service industry for almost probably t- like eight years now. I learned pretty quickly. Like I was not good at it. I didn't like it. It didn't serve me at all. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and so I stopped. And so I went more into event coordination, which in a way is producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that turned out to be um, a really good way for me to make that side money when especially when acting started to really kick in and then and then there was like a time when and that's about I think when actually I started teaching so that's about when um, I was like kind of living off of acting jobs um, teaching and, and coaching was just starting and I discovered like the magic of unemployment speak on the magic of unemployment I think oh, a lot of people don't know about this the magic of unemployment um uh, you know, and people are so weird about unemployment too. People are weird about unemployment. Everybody needs to know that there's a certain percentage of your paycheck that gets taken out that goes towards your unemployment benefit. You already paid it. You already paid it. It's your money. When you get that benefit, it's the money that has been taken out of your paycheck. It's your money. When they say you're living off the government, it's if it's true if you're the one who paid the government in the first place. Exactly. It's your money. Take it. Take it. People so when do you file for unemployment? You when file, would one? So one files for unemployment when a job has ended. So short-term employment. So technically it's when you're like let go or fired. Mm-hmm. Um, so but also when a job 
ends, right? That's what I'm I, saying. It's short-term employment. So like when a job ends, that that technically means that you've been let go mm-hmm. because the job is over. So it doesn't necessarily mean you've been fired or it was bad. It just means that it's done. So I booked my first national, let's say, and I'm enjoying the session fee. And oh my God, there are these residuals that are happening. There are these buyouts and I actually have some money. And then it ends. Mm-hmm. The run ends. That's f- I won. Congratulations to me. I've got Yay. this booking. Good for you. Thank you. You're choosing me with some water. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, and instead of thinking, oh, now I'm back to just having whatever income I was making before, I can file for unemployment, right? Yeah, you can. And it's amazing. And so basically it gives you a little breath. It gives you a little bit of relief. Um, you can also be earning money while you're collecting unempl- your unemployment benefit. You just have to claim it. So um, people like don't, I mean, my God, have I been through, I've had years of of experience I've had claims that I've had to then go to like the unemployment court for to like like the the system's also super flawed because there it's not um it's all based on machines and like uh but before it used to be you didn't file online you you like had to write things out by hand and so they scan that into machine and like a comma could look like a period could look like a different number it could be a scrap of food who knows what it is and it can like fuck up the whole system and so I had something where their system had like sent me too many claim forms that like overlapped and so they were saying that I was overpaid um but and it was like thousands of dollars wow and I was like, no. And so I went and because I'm super type A, I keep all of my records. Like my, I literally have an expanding file folder that I keep every receipt for three years. I'm real anal about this stuff because it's just, it just helps me. I get paper works. receipts for everything. People always look at me, like, especially in like the bougie coffee shops that you do everything through like their iPads. And I'll be like, can I have a printed receipt? And those that do have it will be like, ugh, fine, and like hand it to me. And those that don't are like, oh, we don't do that. It's email only. Okay, so and I'm like, okay. And then I go home and I print out my receipt and I put it in my file. Um, so anyway, uh, but I won that and I got I got the money back. So anyway, unemployment is a tool that actors have at our disposal because we need to survive in between these jobs. And sometimes you can't get a full-time job because it interferes with your ability to audition. I think people forget that it's actually unemployment insurance. Like this is, it's a, it's a thing. It's not just that like you get this benefit out of nowhere. It's an insurance that you pay into to cover the times when you are not, not working making money. Yeah. And it's not just like, Oh, everyone needs money. It's that everyone does better when everyone has money. Yeah. There's just nothing wrong. I think p- people just feel like that there's something like, bad negative or somehow you're mooching off the government like there's all these just weird feelings around it and I just say it is a tool I know um, like dozens of casting directors who when they're on hiatus from their shows they collect their unemployment benefit because they can't take on another job necessarily but they're on hiatus for the season so they need something to tide them over until they go back so everybody's doing it so that was super helpful to me um I would say in my like late 20s early 30s I don't I don't care about aging myself it's fine um so I was doing that and and that was before when I was still the theater company was still growing and I wasn't able to make a paycheck or anything from that. So, so I really a whole needed bunch it. Of, uh, various kind of freelancing service jobs mm-hmm. mixed with unemployment, mixed with smacking jobs here and there yeah. to, to count on, but when they come in they help. Absolutely. And those residuals um were are amazing as well. And like there was a huge chunk of my time out here that my supplemental income was also all babysitting. That was like very lucrative for me. When I moved here, I met a lot of people doing generals and people like high up in the industry and they all had children. And so my, like one of my friends and I, we really made a lot of our connections through babysitting. And then we made a little bit of money doing that as well. So that was like a great networking tool for me, but also gave me a little bit of financial stability. Did you hit a level of debt 
in either school or just kind of starting your acting life? I didn't. I was very, I'm very grateful that um, my parents were able to pay for my, my college. Um, and so I didn't have, I didn't graduate with any loans or debt, which was fantastic. Um, and as far as like the financial stuff, I really kind of parsed it out. Um, I started my career in New York, so I did a lot of those like early workshops and spent them like money on certain things you do to start out there when I was still having a little bit more financial support from my parents. Um, and so when I came out here, I was able to figure out how to be in certain classes that I could afford other class. And then a group of my friends, we started our own like C night Mm -hmm. that we started doing right when we got out here because we were all kind of like, well, we just spent four years in conservatory. Why are we spending more money an acting class, but we didn't understand that kind of part of the cult, the acting culture in Los Angeles is to jump back into class. So, um, any other thought on the money conversation? The money Did convers- it ever change at some point for you? Did you ever find, oh, this kind of gig is a lot better for me, or somehow I transcended? Yeah. I mean, when I found the event coordination, that was a lot more consistent and helpful for me. And then when I now that I'm in um, a leadership position at IAMA and I'm really working, I'm, on, I'm finally on payroll. Um, I get a little salary. It's enough to sort of support me. So I would say between residuals, um, acting, teaching, and IAMA, that's how I sustain myself. And I'm not ashamed to say that my parents still help me. You know, like they're able to. I'm very lucky. And I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if I didn't have a little bit of support when I need it. It's not like on a daily a daily thing, but like if something comes up that I can't handle, um, I know that I can, I can ask them and they're, and they're there. Um, you know, and they won't be there forever and I'm still, you know, trying to grow out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, you talked about I am, I am, uh, you are the artistic director, co-artistic, I'm the co-artistic director. Okay. And, uh, tell me about, well, let's zoom out a little bit first. Tell me your opinion on Los Angeles theater. It is a, a strange little world that, um, I'm still, after all these years, still navigating. Um, I think LA has the potential of being like the next great theater town. There's clearly we're the, we're in the bedrock of the entertainment industry, right? We are here where everything is colliding. You have film, television, theater, everything all in the same place. And you would think that they would all sort of work together to like help support, but it it doesn't actually work that way here. It's very segregated. The industries are kind of very separate. So, um, what's great about there's so much theater out here. It's just really hard to figure out what is the right theater for you or or what is the best theater. I think the quality control is a little out of whack sometimes. So it's really hard to say. It's kind of like a personal taste thing. Um, but if you are looking, what's great about LA Theater is that there are a lot of places you can work that won't impede your ability to continue to work in film and television. So like I am, a, for example, we are considered a membership company. We have... Um, uh, an arrangement with equity where we are allowed to produce without the benefit of an equity contract because we qualify as this membership company. So we can produce in that way, which means we still pay our actors, but we don't lock them into a contract where they're not they're not able to leave if they book a film or television job. So we're here to grow and, and hopefully we're eventually going to get onto like our goal is to be like a Lord theater where it's a full equity contract. But for now, we're able to be a creative home for all these amazing working actors in LA who still love theater and it's still their like kind of first passion. So we're able to get all these wonderful actors that are successful in other places, but are still working here. So I think if you're looking to do film and TV, but you don't want to give up 
your theater roots, like LA is a great place to be because there's so much that you can do. There's so much new work in LA. People don't realize that. Like there's a ton of new plays happening. So you can really get on the ground floor of like being a creative person here. How much are you guys able to pay your actors? Um, we pay our actors. Um, so not quite minimum wage. Cause that's really hard to do with the, the hourly. Um, but we pay our actors, um, about $500 flat fee okay. for each show. And that includes your rehearsal and then for each performance. So the, just to put it in perspective, the old, um, 99 seat agreement that a lot of theaters function functioned under, um, it was something like $11 a performance for the first three weeks. And then it became 15 if you went past three weeks and there was no rehearsal stipend. So you weren't ever locked into anything, but you were making like pennies. That is what drove me from LA theater, to be honest. I did yeah. so much of it when I started out here, and I had amazing experiences with a lot of different companies, specific. But you can't sustain regime. yourself. But I was losing a ton of money doing yeah. it. Not, yeah. Not just like not breaking even. I was actively losing money, having to work crazy hours to then do this amazing new play. But it's not like those you could just do. They'd be on it. Uh, 8 to 11 o'clock at night you'd have to work your ass off to get anybody to even show up and then there's the act of doing these plays and I always found one thing that was hard for me coming out of college was that I thought I'd get out of college and my casting would somehow open up more I don't know why I thought that in theater I think as in college like you weren't still redheaded 23 year old well, you know, in college you get pigeonholed within your own community <clears throat> right so I was either always the young one or we can put a whole bunch of makeup on him and make him the old man and right. I was like oh I'll actually get to be like not little boys or senior citizens I can be and then I quickly learned the only story people wanted to see was this really innocent all-american kid just ruined just we want to see him broken uh, spiritually emotionally physically and i was like i'm losing money to go home and drink and i don't know that this is sustainable at this point no i mean it, it's not really you just have to want to do it you know and i always say to people who are like wavering when they want to do a show with us i'm like you have to weigh it out for yourself what it, what it's worth um I think for a company like ours, we're on the rise. We're growing. We're going to get to that equity contract. We are going to. But you also have to put it in perspective. Like if you're working at, say, Playwrights Horizons in New York, which is a very high, high level off-Broadway theater, you know, most of those those off-Broadway contracts are somewhere between like 300 and 400 a week. Like mm -hmm. it's crap money still, you know, but that's all you're doing. So you're in rehearsal all day. If you're going from show to show to show, you you're know, not spending a lot. you're not spending a lot. You're still not making more, but you're not spending a lot. So. Um, it really, that, that really, you know, so you have to put into perspective, but I think we're trying to grow and start paying people more. So $500 is, is nothing, but it's a, it's a good gesture in the right, you know, direction. And honestly, as long as you're not working for free, I think it's pretty good. Like, it's I, super important to not to, to that. We pay, we pay $50 to every actor who does a reading with us. Like it's just a policy that we have where we don't ever ask actors to, to work for free um, and even if it means we're giving them a dollar which we, we don't do that we definitely do more than that but it's a goal for us to be working towards paying artists a living wage like that is a huge part of our mission that's a huge part of our development and our growth so we are always trying to do better than what we have done in the past well, you pay to do a hobby you get paid to do your job and I yeah. think even if it's a even if it's a symbol it's also just like a mentality thing like if you're doing something for free you're more inclined to be a little more lackadaisical about it. Mm -hmm. If you're getting paid to do something, you're more likely to show up and do it. So where did Diana start? 
Um, I am. God, I feel like I've been telling this origin story a lot lately. Um, I am a started in the summer of 2006. I think that's wait. No, 2007. Sorry. Um, basically there was a group of us who had all gone to NYU together. It really started around these uh, five girls, like my four best friends and I, we'd moved out here. We were just like starting our careers. We didn't really know what we were doing. This is pre iPhones. This is pre anyone owning like a Canon 5d. Like nobody knew how to make shit. We only knew how to make theater and we knew how to make theater in like the basement of a bar and throw cool parties and like so it was your content creation it was yeah it, it was it was just that stuff just didn't exist the technical side didn't exist yet so mm-hmm. we we're like well we know how to make theater so we started this company together um five you know type a women so we were like organized and could get stuff done and it was right at that time when um our friend leslie headland had moved um to la and she was just starting her writing career and she said i have this play I'd like you guys to read and it's actually the first of seven one for each of the seven deadly sins which later then became the seven deadly plays um and so that first year we were like let's do it and we um we'd initially started the company by doing this small show it was like 40 minutes long it wasn't even long enough to really invite the audience but it was and it was not great but the production value was excellent and we realized oh people are excited and we sold out every night so from that we're like let's really start this thing so the first year we did four of leslie's plays all in one year um we initially were like we're gonna do all seven in a year and a half but that didn't happen we did four in the first year um and then that platform really helped launch some of our careers it also really helped leslie get onto a higher plane which people started to recognize her her career kind of took off so it took us longer to finish these plays we actually didn't finish them till um Last year on our 10th season, we finally finished it. So it took us 10 years to finish the seven plays. So we did four the first year, one the next year, one the following year. Then we had a bit of a break, um, like a three or four year break. And then we finished this last one. So Um, just to draw some lines that I'm seeing, because I think it's important. uh, Theater is really just because I don't know how else to do my work and I want to create my own stuff. So I want to take control of my career, which is something we hear again. It's also it's also. I mean, my my deep first love is like I love theater. I go to the theater and I feel like a whole person. And there's for me like there's nothing that can replace that feeling. And even as I've gotten older and like this year specifically, I'm really re falling in love with the medium so much. Like I'm watching shows like Fosse Vernon and I'm like, oh, my God, someone made a TV show just for me. Like, I watch it, and I think they're speaking just to me. <laughs> so it's love and fun. Yeah. It is content creation. It's taking your career in your own hands. And it's also this idea that you can't do it alone. You said there are these five other women. I don't even know if that includes the playwright that you're talking about. No, that. this was, no. So that's six That's, right that's six, yeah. And you're all building off of each other's successes, and you don't quite know who's going to pop. But the idea is you didn't do it alone. You didn't do it waiting. You didn't do it saving money. And you didn't do it uh, sacrificing what you love to do. no. I mean, it's funny. I said this the other day to someone. You think about um, what you go to school for and then like where you end up with your career. And I was always like, okay, I've got this theater degree. Great. And I'm going to go do all these things. But I've now been able to draw like a very clearly direct line between my specific, even the just a specific studio at NYU that I was at. I was at Playwrights Horizon Theater School. I was in a place that taught me to be an actor, a director, a designer. It taught me to be a full, complete theater artist, a collaborative theater artist. And literally that very tiny specific education has led me very directly to being an artistic director of a theater company. That's the clearest line I can see besides going to med school and becoming a doctor. Yeah. Like what I learned, 
taught me exactly how to do the job I'm doing. And it's kind of crazy that that's where I've ended up. It's funny. I find that's true, but almost in reverse, where UCLA, I was there during the Schwarzenegger years and okay. during the Great Recession years. And so yeah. there was no money for theater. Uh, musical theater had an endowment and grad school got covered first. But the re- just regular actors and the theater hmm. program, we got very little. And a couple of us said, fuck this. And we just started a theater company. Um, It lasted for like six years. But what I learned was to write plays, direct, get people to see my work, create my own hustle, figure out my own casting, create relationships with people. And since then, I've basically been an entrepreneur in a hundred different ways. I don't think my college was trying to teach me that, but absolutely, that was the lesson I got. And it did give me a career that I'm really happy with, even if it was not the way I had anticipated or they had anticipated. Okay, so now we're we're at I Am. I Am is growing. You're doing the seven deadly plays over a decade. Over a decade. Um, And just through that, it just kept evolving we got to a point where you know we were raising money by like throwing fun parties and stuff and it came to the place where you go okay this is fun and awesome do we want to keep just doing this as like a fun side hustle like side fun hobby or is this a real business and a lot of places they say it's like three years in is when theater companies really like like thrive or die Mm -hmm. and we kind of just made the choice three years in we're like we're gonna go and now you know, where we're at now in 2019 is we are a fully functioning nonprofit with a, um, we just formed our first like official board of directors with very active, important people who can really help us to get to the next level. We're on our way to having our own theater space. We're producing a full season um, of main stage plays of world premieres and other premieres. We have, we're nationally recognized around the country as being a theater company. We um, are a place that people seek out to work at. So, if anything, that is the thing I'm the most proud of. That's beautiful. I'm wondering, can you think of one to three decisions that got made at different times that are the biggest reasons your IAMA is where it is? That if you could go back and say, these were the hinge points or it was these decisions early on that got us there. Ooh. Um, okay. Yes. One was... Um, I would say probably when we joined LA Stage Alliance, when we when we learned like how you get nominated for awards, so the Ovation Awards, which is LA's theater awards, um, come through this organization, LA Stage Alliance. So when we joined LA Stage Alliance, uh, we were we were offered um, to be participants in using the beta system of a thing called patron manager which is essentially salesforce but for patronage so it's a place that you do all of your ticket sales through you run all of your data through you keep all of your information and we got to use it for free about uh seven or eight years ago i think that was really key to putting us into a place of be more like a business okay um i would say the doing leslie's plays just that alliance itself um it gave us a voice. We knew who we were as a company. We created an audience where there wasn't one. And we helped people see Leslie. And And, and I think um, the combination of her words and our acting was just like such fucking magic. And that was the brand rather than that was like the intellectually brand. Yeah. created. We didn't have to. We never it. sat around and were like, who are we? And what kind of like, what do we want our our like voice or or who do we want to be she gave us this like amazing gift of these plays that defined us and now we're shifting and changing and growing but that initial definition branded us right away and so that was really clutch and then I would say the third thing that is like immeasurable is that um three years ago Shonda Rhimes came on board as our main patron of the arts how did Um, that happen 
Um, it happened through the relationship, I think, with my co-artistic director, Katie Lowe's, um, who was one of the leads on Scandal. But Shonda was also very, just very aware. Uh, so many of us in the company have been on um, all of her shows. And there was just, I think, a buzz going around of like, who is this group of artists and what are they doing? And people wanted to get involved. And she kept saying, like, what is this thing? And so she came and checked it out and um, wanted to get involved and wanted to support it and really wanted to support new work and new voices and underrepresented voices. And so having her has allowed us the opportunity to commission like every year we do a commission um uh in her name that is uh dedicated to we're commissioning a writer of color who's never had to play professionally produced so it's an incredible opportunity it's a competitive fee um it's really really cool and we're seeing some really cool work come out of it and then she also you know really wanted to support us in getting good press and getting um a solid business under our feet it's Every one of these stories, I feel like there's always the thing that sounds from 20 miles away like luck, but is mm-hmm. really the, like, everybody knows somebody. Everyone has some in, but that in came from great working relationships. It came from showing up and not knowing where to expect the answer to come from. But it's that magical alchemy that is always what you're looking for. You follow the fun, you follow your joy, you follow the people that you love to work with, and then you just cross your fingers and trust that someone in this town will eventually say, yeah, I get what you're doing. What you're doing is great. I see you. Let's work together. Yeah. It's it's very fulfilling, and um, you know, one of the biggest struggles I've had in this last year is really stepping into the power of this position and, and really, cause I never, while I see the direct line from my education to this, like it all makes sense, but it's never was set out to be my goal. And so the more I step into it, because like, like I said, I don't do anything like halfway. Um, it's become incredibly purposeful for me. And, uh, that has definitely led me down weird little paths of self doubt when it comes to the other things I'm doing. So, um, ask, you know, not like I, I for a while I was struggling with like if I am successful at being an artistic director does that mean I've been I'm a failure as an actor because I don't get on stage with our company that much like I was in a play this season for the first time in 10 years wow and not for lack of trying there's just really fucking good actors in our company and I have auditioned and even though I'm a leader of the company I've still not gotten cast um and then sometimes, you know, and then there's other times where I just haven't auditioned because I feel it's more important for me to be in the position I'm in. Sure. But I mean, so I felt like the heartbreak of not getting cast and I, and I felt that and um, that I am a for me is not is not about me being an actor. It's about me being a theater creator. Um, so, so how have you been able to kind of square that circle of does one mean the other? Um, you know, I just well, therapy. <laughs> Ther- plug, plug, plug. Ther- Actors, get into therapy. Yeah, therapy was really helpful. Um, I have a really wonderful boyfriend um, partner who supports me in, in this position so much and has really helped me look at things differently. Um, but I think that it's just the more I do it and the more um, I really embrace why I love being an artistic director and, and um what the value that I get out of it, it's all because I'm a good actor. Like that really fuels so much of it, but it's just hard. You know, like I'm at a place in my acting career where I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit at a plateau. I've reached certain levels. I've, you know, I've been in probably, I think over like 40 episodes of television probably. And I would say like of those 40 episodes, probably 30 of them are network. So I've worked in like a lot of genres with a lot of different people I've done huge recurrings. I've done huge top of show guest stars. I've done small co-stars. I've done lots of one day guest stars. 
Um, I've tested multiple times for pilots and not gotten them. Um, I've been in movie like there's stuff I have definitely levels I've reached at, but there's there's one like a secure place. Like I haven't been a series regular yet and I haven't been in a huge studio, major, you know, huge budget movie. And there are little things that I still really strive for. And I'm still trying. I'm still auditioning regularly. And um, I'm starting to realize, you know, acting's not going anywhere. Like TV's like not <laughs> ending. But uh, real quick on I am. Uh, what does the name mean? <clears throat> it means I am a theater company. It does not stand for anything. I love that. It is not Yama. It is not I-A-M-A, which is so annoying. It's not I am a blank like canvas. No, it means, it used to literally just be like the word I, the word am, the word a, and then a theater, uh, theater company, but it looked weird, so we smushed it together, and for some reason that looked super cool to us, it. but it definitely confuses people all the time. Uh, where are you located? Um, that's a fun question. We're a nomadic theater company. So a website where if people want to so get information. If people want to get information, go to I am a theater, theater with an R E dot com. Uh, you can get all the information, follow us at I am a theater on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook. We're very social media heavy, so you can find lots of information about us. Um but we usually float between the Atwater Village Theater, Pasadena Playhouse, and uh, now uh, the Los Angeles Theater Center downtown. Wonderful. Okay, so that ends my IAMA questions for now. I'm going to sure. back on for more at some point. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to get into with you. Okay. You also are a director. Yeah. And it seems like you just kind of made that happen for yourself. I want to hear how did you find yourself in the director's chair? Um, okay, so... About, I think it was like 2013, we were doing um, I Am A Fest, which is like a one-act festival that we used to do. And I had written a short play, um, and as I was, we were in rehearsals and everything, I was I was feeling even more of the like itch to jump out of the chair and direct myself. Um, and as the, when I feel that pull, because like sometimes it comes, it feels like I'm being micromanaging like an asshole, but sometimes it means that I really feel like I, I'm ready to be doing something. Um, so I kind of was looking at the script and I just realized that summer I was like, this should be a film and like this is the time. And I, I don't even honestly remember like consciously making the choice. I was just like, I'm going to make, I'm going to direct this film. And so I rewrote the script into a screenplay and I'd, I had already started writing. So I'd already made this shift into um, writing. I had written with a writing partner for a while and we were developing some TV stuff and I was trying to put stuff out there, but I hadn't made anything yet. Um, and so, well, I guess, well, that's not actually true. We made a web series, but I didn't direct it. Okay. So I made this film and I was like, I'm just going to direct it. And so I just grabbed people together. I grabbed, um, a good friend of mine who was an awesome producer and she really helped me put it all into play. Um, and that was my first film. And then I took that to all these festivals and went around and did then you kickstart did you have money i did a kickstarter okay yeah i did a kickstarter for this one i raised did you get I any think, oh sorry i think i raised like five thousand dollars i think the whole budget was like five thousand in any actors with any name value yeah so my first film was starring eddie gathegi uh-huh. who people know from i guess the blacklist from x-men he's gonna be in briar patch now too, he's like right? yeah yeah he's gonna be on briar patch um i love him so much yeah uh, we met at williamstown theater festival years ago so you were already friends you said i have this part for we're you. already friends i called him and i said hey read this script i would love you to play this role um, actually, in the play version of it, Mike Vogel actually played uh, this character. And I reached out to him first, but he wasn't available. Okay. So then I reached out to Eddie. So your first short um, film has some money, not a crazy budget. Not but a cra- yeah, $5, a, a little bit free. of money. I mean, I think the actors, I paid them either nothing or very little. They just did it for me. Um, and you had someone who 
actually could get some eyes on it, which I think yep. is actually practical. It was great. It, it was just a, it was just a two hander this film. So it was Eddie Gathegi and this actress Skylar Day. This is the one that's like a, a cop thing with a young girl, and yeah. you originally wanted it to be a comedy, and it's like the darkest thing in the entire world. Yeah. So I cool. started I writing. This. Yeah, I started writing a play about a compulsive liar who then turned into a pathological liar, which is a very different thing. Um, and it was about this girl who like is always reporting crimes to the police. Um, but eventually, and I don't, when I was writing it, I just, I remember at one point it just like took a turn and all of a sudden she, she was coming and reporting all these crimes and they were like, you know, over her. And then you start to realize that she, um, actually is like very much traumatized by something that she did. She did see a real crime when she was very young. She saw her father kill her mother and she's buried that very deep down and it's come out in these like crazy ways. Um, so yeah, it took like a super weird so you, dark turn. So you make this, mm-hmm. uh, it does festivals. Yep. It did about, I think eight festivals, which was really cool. Um, I traveled around a little bit did with them. Did you get a lot of advice before you started? Did you kind of go by the seat of your pants? How did Both. You? I asked a lot of questions. I had like one of my mentors, um, uh, this woman, Claudia Weil. She, I mean, she was one of like the first women ever to be in the Academy. Wow. She made this film in the 70s called Girlfriends. It was like a cult kind of classic. She's awesome. So she kind of gave me a bit of a crash course that year in filmmaking because she teaches filmmaking at um, Columbia. Great. So she gave me a little bit of a crash course. Um, I reached out just to a lot of other friends and talked a lot. At the time, I was dating an editor who worked in the indie scene, so he was super helpful in, in helping me guide this and get this up on its feet. Um, and then I just like asked a lot of favors. Like I just reached out to a lot of people. I got my crew because I had like done a short. I'd acted in a short the summer before, so I grabbed that sound guy. Then I. Um, grabbed a friend who was a DP who was a camera guy who was trying to get more DP work so and he had his own camera so I pulled that in um, got a great production designer I had a friend act as my first AD even though she'd never done it I had our stage manager from Miami be my production manager on it um then I had like my old writing partner be my script supervisor because I didn't team even, effort yeah and with this I mean the script supervisor stuff because this was a 15 page script that we shot 13 we did two days of shooting we shot 13 pages in one day and basically I broke the script I did all the script supervisor work like by hand of all like the lines and all of it and then just gave it to him and I was like just make notes of the takes um so I like learned how to do I learned how to how to do all of it. I learned how to make shot lists I learned how to storyboard I learned how to uh break a script down like I sort of did all of that prep and kind of learned it on my own and then I, would, I screened it at um, SAG, the SAG Guild maybe? I don't remember what it was called. It was SAG Fund. It was some screening that um, sure. they did. And there I met these two women who were producing a short that next summer who hired, they saw my film and they liked it and hired me to shoot theirs. So my second film, I was a director for Hire On and that one I learned a ton on because it was a film where the lead actress and was the producer and attached and... and um, there was, you know, the challenges that come with that. And I was also working with a child on this one. Um, and I had a much larger crew. It was a, mu- it was a almost three times the budget I had for the other one. So I was managing a larger crew and more equipment. And um, that one was really, was, it was a really great learning experience. And from that, I then did uh, one other short that I got hired to do that I sort of pulled crew from all these different things. And then that was right when my first feature opportunity came. So, um, my friend came to me and was like, I have this idea to this feature. And he's like, we read it. And we ended up writing the script together. Um, and then we brought on our other friend who's an amazing producer, her and I co-directed it, 
uh, together because we've all been friends. So it was sort of like a very collaborative. It all kind of came together at the same time where um, I was like going to be in this. I knew and we were writing it and wanted to, and like wanted to direct it. Um, and Jackie wanted to direct it as well. And and she's a great producer already. So we just all kind of came together and her and I co-directed this together and she produced it um, with another woman. Um, and we shot that down in Nashville um, and that was this amazing kind of experience of like learning how to do all this stuff. And I learned a lot from everybody. Um, it's really difficult to work with your friends, but also really rewarding. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, it was really great. I feel like I learned a lot from everybody. Um, and that, but that really like lit the fire under me to sort of like, I joined the film fatales from that. Cause you have to to be a member, you have to have directed a feature. So I joined that. Um, and then I just started pushing and I just started really trying to find what the next thing would be. And I, I'm sort of attached to a bunch of different features now to direct <clears throat> this one that I'm producing kind of came forth. Cause, um, the writer director of this one is the writer of another of a feature that I'm attached to direct. That's a much bigger budget. And this one kind of got its smaller budget real fast. And it kind of just jumped into production quickly. So, um, I came aboard because I'm, you know, we're all kind of trying to become this little like team creative team together. And so I wanted to support her, um, and help get this one out so that then we can focus on, on the one that I'm doing. Um, cause she's such, she's a really great young writer. Uh, so, I mean, the directing thing is it, it's a really weird path like I've also because like I really want to direct TV that's sort of what it showed me um, but that's a really hard kind of weird path to get on it kind of takes forever to get that first job but then once you're in it's, you're I think in you're forever. in so I've shadowed like a dozen times on um, network shows on cable shows on single cam on multicam um, met a bunch of different people I directed the ABC uh, talent showcase two years ago so that helped me get to know people at abc so i'm just like trying to hit it from like all angles so if you had a piece of advice to an actor actress like you uh, um from the perspective that you've learned from directing and taking on all sorts of other things what's the advice to that person (laughs) is it do everything is it if you really want to sure like why not you know like i don't that the advice from it I don't know because it's really hard. I mean, sometimes I wish that I could just be a single focused person, you know, like I could just focus on acting or I could just be doing the theater company or I could just be focusing on directing because all these things are really hard in their own right. So to do them all at the same time, I get really exhausted and I have a really great bandwidth, but like as I've gotten older, it has definitely started capping out a little bit and it's harder for me to maintain all the balls in the air or all the plates I'm juggling I, when I watch people I don't think it's do everything I do think it's what you love you're kind of sentenced to doing that and like you're yeah. collaborative you love story and if you if you don't have a role in it my guess is that you're going to help punch up the script you're going to have some idea of how to make the thing come exactly to life. but for me it's compulsive I can't stay away from it like I have to tell the story so do everything in if it's some compulsive way. is our healthy sure yeah yeah be just be compulsive and say yes all the time um no I would say the biggest advice I can give is learn how to say no say no where you need to learn boundaries I'm starting to learn boundaries and I'm 38 years old you know what I mean? Like so. Okay, and then the other question I have, just reframing the same one. Now you're just the director, mm-hmm. um, or the artistic director. I feel like those hats are similar. Mm-hmm. What's just an advice to an actor who's going to come and audition for you, or an actor who just wants advice for their profession? Um, preparation is everything. I will always say that. Um, 
you really have to, I think what actors need to focus on is, well, is storytelling. And I always tell students when we're teaching, like, you don't memorize the lines, memorize the story. Get inside the story. Know who the character is, how they think and feel about the world in the context of this script. What does that mean? And then you're going to understand the lines. But I think the biggest mistake actors make is that they just focus on saying the lines and they don't embody the person, the character. And I, for me, it's such a huge difference of seeing someone who's just getting it right and someone who's filling it out. Like, I want to see you live through something. But I think preparation is key. Like, come in, ready to go. Like, I want you to read that script a couple times. I want you to know that scene backwards and forwards. Um, I don't, you know, I want you to use your script if, if you need it, but like be super engaged in it or put it down and just like fly. Like I want to, I want to see people who are, who have ideas, who have questions. Um, so that seems like a collaborator is what you want. Yeah. I think so often actors think, well, if I just do the best job. That's what they're looking for. And I really, I don't think it's who's going to give the best performance. I think it's who's going to collaborate to create something with everyone else. Yeah. We'll I feel get like to the great performance later. Yeah. I mean, I also like really love actors who um, are like, let me try something, you yeah. know, or who come in with an idea, you know, and like sometimes like I'll be like, that's awesome. Or sometimes I'll be like, well, let's shift over here. But I, I want you to come in with thoughts about about what you're doing and um, having sort of like are able to like connect, you know, with with your opinions. Yeah, that's really that's really the biggest thing. Okay, we're going to move on to the lightning round. This is how we wrap up. Okay, okay? so these are all quick answers. Great Uh, movie you love that doesn't get enough love. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. That is my wife's favorite movie. <gasps> really? It's oh, yeah. like literally one I of my bought it for her top five favorite movies of all time. As part of our what as part of our first dating anniversary. I was like, you think it's gonna be romantic now? It's gonna be Tommy Boy. Now. I literally wrote an essay for the HBO directors lab. They said, like, what's your favorite movie and why is it important? <laughs> And I literally wrote 500 words on Tommy Boy. Not even care about how it's like the anti-hero story. <laughs> no okay, well, we lost lightning round, but I Sorry. do love that. Sorry. Uh, the smartest thing you've ever done in your career? That, how is that a fast question to ask? What comes out? Just the first thing that comes out. Pretend that this Smartest is- thing I've ever done in my career? Um, I guess move to Los Angeles. Great. I love it. What's your... Uh, in, this is all personal, subjective. Biggest career achievement? Oh, that's so hard. Um, I think it is probably I am. That's probably the biggest career achievement. Biggest career regret. Oh, I got this one. I got cast on a show called Making History. And the day I was supposed to start shooting, I had a callback for a big recurring role on Get Shorty. And we didn't know how I could Skype and do it with being on set because I didn't we didn't know the schedule and it all made me nervous because my first day doing this like recurring role in an accent on this show and so we just said we'll just let them go off the tape I'd already made and the girl who got the part did a Skype in session from afar from somewhere else and I just that was my biggest regret I just wish I'd I'd done it do the Skype session yeah uh favorite food in Los Angeles Veggie grill. Veggie Isn't that weird? I just sure. like that like healthy fake shit. Uh, favorite restorative spot in LA? Uh, I guess the Olympic Spa. Olympic Spa? Great. Yeah. Uh, role you would love to have played? Claire on Six Feet Under. Oh, you'd be good. <sighs> I feel like I moved to LA two years too late. Yeah. That is one that really hurts still. Best advice to an actor just starting... Take a class. Take a class. And lastly, rank these in order of importance. Oh, okay. There's four. Okay. Talent, 
business savvy, luck, and attitude. Okay. So I'm working backwards. In any order you want. Okay. The fourth most important is talent. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that comes with wisdom. Uh, the next w- one is uh, attitude. Okay. Then business savvy. And then I think luck, unfortunately, is the most important thing. I think only in that I say that because I think everyone has to realize that there is a little bit of luck that goes in. And luck is what? When preparation meets timing. Yeah. So you have to have all the other stuff to be ready when that luck comes because so much of this is out of our control. I don't know a single person who's never had a chance at luck. They just might not have been aware for it. So be ready for your moment. Thank you, Stephanie Black. Uh, please check out Iama and uh, we'll have you back soon. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Stephanie and thank you to our sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. Uh, Right now, I Am a Theater has a show. It's called A Kid Like Jake. It is at the Pasadena Playhouse and is running through November 3rd. It is getting amazing reviews. Please check it out. Go to their website, I Am a Theater. That's theaterre.com to get tickets and details. Also, uh, if you go see Parasite, uh, tag the show on social media. That'd be really cool. I would love to hear what you think about it. Anyway, thanks again. We'll be back with another episode real soon. Bye.